for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. If you've been listening to our show, we've been cranking out the information to help folks get ready for September. And since we're all bow hunters, we naturally lean hard on the archery skill sets. But what if you're hunting elk in September with a rifle? First of all, man, oh man, what an incredible time and hunt opportunity. Because it doesn't happen in many places, and it's such a special time. But how do the strategies change? What are some tips unique to rifle hunters? And are there any possible failure points for rifle hunters to avoid? Well, guys and gals, let's just dive in and talk about that. Those topics, some Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoyed the show. And as always, for our blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you live from the studio now in Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas. That's say it. Right. Say it. The say it. of the Venezuelan. Yeah. Himself, Luis Gonzalez <laughs> is in the house. And from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we're wishing Manano uh, a very lot of prayers. He's got some uh, sick animal at the house, so he can't join us tonight. But from Cuesta, New Mexico, that's right. We got the living legend cowboy himself, R.C. <laughs> Knox, is in the house. And from Cimarron, New Mexico, that's right, the Elk Ninja, 
Leroy Chavez and WWJGD. What would Joe Dillian do is in the house. What's up, fellas? Hey. What's up, brothers? Hey. Good to see everybody. Oh, oh you man. just got to. There we go. Got it. Hey. We're, we're bringing some hey. guests in. What the heck? Hello. Here. Whoa, 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 whoa. We got a bunch of intruders here. What's going on, Joe? <laughs> Guys, we got the channel hacked. <laughs> we have What's this? joining us for a few minutes tonight. Guys, meet Dustin Fry and I, and I, like I said, I can't believe I'm seeing the face. It's been a long time coming. This is Cassidy Real Team 307 from the upcoming season of Hunt Wars. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. Welcome, guys. guys Way cool. Yeah. Short straw. Oh, my gosh. That is so yeah. awesome. Cassidy and Dustin, welcome to the show, fellas. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Definitely a pleasure being here, man. <laughs> yeah, man, that's cool, Joe, because, uh, you know, I, I know I was telling Joe, it's like, man, Joe, it would be nice to see if we could at least one of these days just kind of chime in into your coaching, coaching sessions with, with the Hunt Wars guys. And, and, uh, and look, I mean, I, I, I figured Joe's always thinking ahead, man. He already had something like this plan, I'm sure. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Guys, so, let, me, let me ask you a question. How did it, when, when you found out, man, were y'all stoked or what? Oh, oh yeah, crazy! I think Dusty was more stoked. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. if it was true or not. <laughs> are, are you guys partners? A team? Yeah. Who's the shooter? Yep. Who's the caller, man? I'm the shooter. Cassidy's oh, the caller. caller. You're a lot yep. better shot than Cassidy, or, or yeah, no? I don't know. We're pretty even. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a better caller than hey, I am. Hey, so man, he gets stuck spoken, on the short end. Spoken like a true gentleman, man. Oh, that's yes, important. Yeah. Yes. So what part of what part of Wyoming are you guys from? Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't say the same thing about Manana being a better caller. Cody Wyoming. Cody Wyoming. Yeah, that's Wyoming. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah right in the Bighorn Basin, east entrance to Yellowstone. Ooh. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Been there. Love it. God's, God's land, man. Millions yeah. of acres of beautiful mountains, man. Wow. And, and, and Lots milk. of elk. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of elk. Uh, yep. Lots of elk. You know, Luis, <laughs> yeah. Luis worked for an oil field company or an oil operator, uh, Marathon Oil, who celebrated over 100 years in the Big oh. Horn Basin operating there. Yep. Yeah, I worked wow. for him, Marathon. Yeah. yeah, Cassie actually worked for him for a long time, yeah. Oh, wow. wow. For cool. about 10 years. Really? Did you know <laughs> Will Tank and all the guys that worked up there in the Big Horn Basin? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, awesome, brother. So which one of you guys were the one that applied – and got selected. Dustin. I did. Huh? Yeah. Did Put in two applications, phone, just goofing around, man. Really? And uh, we got skunked. We party tag every year. This will be our fifth year hunting together. And we party tag all the time together. Uh, we got skunked this year. And then come to find out, we got drawn for the show. So, wow. I'm like, we, uh, yeah, we got interviewed on my 34th birthday and we just celebrated Cassie's 31st birthday Friday. Oh, so, wow. yep. oh, yeah. That's so cool. 
Yeah, youngs. <laughs> so these boys aren't hunting in the Gila. They're in another area of New Mexico. All right. So um, I don't know that that has come out. They know what area it is, but I don't know that it's come out to anybody else. So oh, I, I'm not saying yet, and uh, until I until I know that. But you know, uh, this is Team 307. We have another group from Wyoming. We have a team from Idaho, and we have a team from Arizona. And uh, these guys are already getting to know each other and kind of starting to feel everything out. And, you know, it's, it's kind of cool because we talk about the competition, right? And when I have these guys together, you have no idea that they're in a competition, man. It's just like a bunch of hunters that are going to be in camp together, you know, and I keep trying to stir the juices up just a little bit. <laughs> nobody, nobody went for that one you gave us last week on hey, who was hey, the Joe, most. Joe poke the bear, buddy. Let me tell you. He, he goes, rank the teams from most, ex- or like your, uh, who you think's the best out of who you think's the least. Nobody bid on that one. So. <laughs> Crickets, man. It was like crickets. say we're kicking everybody's ass. That's what I was gonna say. I mean, there's only one team in the place, you know, and we got 307 in here. So, yeah. Well, I tell you, brothers, we uh, we uh, we're gonna wish y'all the best of luck. Be praying for yeah. all of you for sure, man. Because thank you, uh, hunting in New yeah, Mexico, thank you. anywhere in New Mexico, is special. You know, it's yeah. near and dear in mine and Joe's heart and RC. I promise you, RC been all over the world of New Mexico and hunted on some of the most famed ranches and got it on some of the most famed ranches there. So it it's the Mecca to me. Uh, I've hunted in a couple of other states, but uh, for me, man, New Mexico is the Mecca for sure. Yeah. We look forward to the challenge. We've never oh, yeah. been to New Mexico, so. It'll be yeah. a fun experience. Can you say whether it's northern or southern New Mexico? So, well, it's uh, it's about central New Mexico. And, oh, cool. uh, and you know, the interesting is th- this hunt unit, I've compared this hunt unit to one of the units that we have hunted in um, mm-hmm. that had a very high success rate, um, mm-hmm. I think because – Maybe we had something to do with that, but <laughs> there's no doubt. It's, it's not too far, not too far north, not too far south, close yeah. to the bottom edge, but not too far from the top edge either. And somewhere around in the middle is where you find. Yep. So uh, if yeah. you guys want some hints on how to get there. I don't don't think it became any secret. Joe lives in Cimarron, so nobody was fooled about that. That's for yeah, sure. it's about, yeah, it takes it takes about two to four hours to get in there. But uh, yeah, but what I wanted to say was this area that they are hunting um, kind of equates as far as unit to unit as far as number of elk, but the the unit that they're in actually has a higher bull to cow ratio, no, so. Man. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah. I, I think dragon that's, that's good because that the tag is only for a bull elk, correct? Correct. Oh, no, it's either yeah. sex, it's New Mexico, it's either sex, but yeah, I no, but I mean, for the, the game competition, of the game is for yeah. the bull, yeah, yeah, oh, no, it's for e- either sex, right? The tag is, mm-hmm. yeah. 
I think all New Mexico archery tags are either sex, but I'm not sure as far as what these guys are wanting to do there, you know? And, uh, so Cassidy, I haven't heard you call at all, man. I haven't seen a recording of your call. Are you dodging me? bro? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been busy. <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe I am dodging. You should be Cassidy. Don't fall into that game. You'll get it. You'll yeah. get in your head, man. And then you'll get out to the woods and you won't even want to make a sound because then you'll hear joe's voice in the back of you oh my god that's horrible <laughs> don't do that <laughs> <Just> scare them <laughs> off yeah right uh, yeah. Uh, these guys is, are have you met have you met co wilkes and, and eric aragon already uh let's see I we met eric on the zoom last week oh cool. but not cole solid so. dude cole Cole's yeah. a solid dude, man, and an unbelievable elk caller, dude. Yeah, and both oh. of them are going to be at uh, our coaching session tomorrow. So, yeah, nice. uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited about that, man. We'll, we'll I ain't get, no, that I get no invites, no coaching session tomorrow, Joe. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't are you ready enough. for the big O challenge? <laughs> I, I, I don't have enough square room right now. That's uh, <laughs> right. I'm <laughs> uh, a big boy. <laughs> you just need round room. Exactly. No. Oh, Round shut up. I meant, I, meant, I meant all that's of That's messed up, Joe. That's just messed that up. I can't believe you brought up. that up. Man, I mean, that's just not right. I meant slots <laughs> for squares. For oh, yeah, screen. sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, so are you guys ready? Are you prepared? Or where do you feel like you're at? Um, the excitement level? Are you, I mean, the shooting level? Everything. Where do you guys feel like you're at right now? You ready to hunt? Uh, I think, I think we're doing good. Oh, yeah. Cassidy's sitting outside a camper somewhere. I want to know where the hell he's at. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lovely Farson. Oh, okay. What you doing yep. out there? Working. Working. Oh, really? <laughs> That's why it's hard to get a hold of him, man. He's always in, yeah. like, you know, where there's no cell service and stuff. Oh, yeah. So I, I sure appreciate you guys jumping on with us this evening. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We want to wish you the best of luck. I'm having mm -hmm. such a blast with these guys, coaching them every week. And they're just, I mean, I get texts, I get videos from them, I get questions, and they're just excited, pumped. And that just gets me even more excited and pumped, man. So uh, very excited. all the best, man. Just remember, it's all yeah. about memories. Have yeah. you ever killed a bull yet? Oh, yeah. We come off a really good year in a general unit. Cassie, what was your bull? in that unit a couple years uh, back last year's yeah last year's was three 340 something oh wow that's oh, nice. had a, that's nice i had a for, 331 uh, in yep. new mexico wow. no wyoming 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 man that's yep. awesome fellas wyoming yeah. Yeah. About six years ago i shot one with my bow is 385 and seven eights holy crap wow. wyoming yeah there, there's oh, some yeah. big boys up in these areas so yep. awesome oh bill. man yeah are y'all yeah. all draw tags up there uh not uh, all no. there are some general oh cool yeah so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, we don't have the other guys here right now and I know they don't listen to or watch the podcast. So who do you think is the stiffest competition? Yeah, they don't <laughs> watch the podcast. Hey, I'm, I'm right now I'm picking Dustin and Cassidy, dude. So they got, yeah. the, first, they got the first lick. So I'm riding with you. Boys uh, that's what I'm saying. First to be on the podcast, first to show you. Number one all the way. Y'all are the best. 
One Oh, boys, um, I, we're hoping to see you again. Maybe we can get all you guys on the podcast. And uh, and we definitely got to do something after the show and maybe Heck a little yeah. bit before, before you guys hit the woods, man. So um, yep. peace, peace from the bros crew. And uh, I'll be seeing you guys tomorrow. All the best, guys. Great to meet you. Right. Nice great to meet you guys. Have a great evening. Dudes, huh? That was awesome, Joe. Thanks That's for awesome. having on with us. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, they're just—they are just. I mean, all these guys, man. It's so cool to uh, get a chance to. And like I told them, they're all our athletes. They're all our team. Our goal is to get some elk hit in the ground, um, get these guys to be successful, and have some stories and some things to tell, and have some interaction that the viewers are going to learn a lot from. And if if we do that, it is just a huge win-win. And you know. Hunt Wars is so cool just because of the rules, dude, that they have. I mean, it's it's awesome that, you know, sure, they're, they're going to go off gross score, but they're going off of you get double whatever the age is. So, you know, you get more points for maturity. And then if you shoot over 40 yards for each bit you shoot over, that's a penalty, man. So the goal is to make that close, clean, yeah. accurate kill, man. So Hey, Joe, so for the selection process is – is the draw for the interviews random? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so everybody puts in their $100, and it basically becomes, okay, we're going to start pulling four names out for the elk hunt. Boom, boom, boom. It's the lottery for that. Um, and then they go to the deer hunts, and then they go to the antelope hunts. And I don't know if it's in that order, but that's how they do it. They just pull them out. And I, and I do know that – before they announce who wins it, they actually do 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 do. That doesn't work. But they, they actually do. they actually do a interview thing to make sure that you know that the principles of the competition are what the contestants value or that they're going to be okay with it because if they're not like they don't have any drinking in camp you know they they talk about what they do ethically you know what type of shots they're looking for so you know they want to make sure everybody's on the same base and if yeah. they are then everything goes through like that man i want to apply yeah and we were we were exempt bro so. uh, i think we're exempt, you mean dude. Yeah. what the hell we, because I'm, we're, we're exempt Maybe exempt for elk, but not something else. Well, so I wanted to talk to you about the whitetail deal. They had that open, but man, if I did that, my son would disown me, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and again, like I said, I'm going to be shedding some of this stuff that I got going on, and we're going to have a little more time to do things like that. There we go, bracket. Yeah, amen. Let's yeah, rock. man. Look, I, I, I think the concept is so cool, and I'm really yes. jealous of these guys <laughs> that are being able to do it. Because I'm telling you, man, I, I'm going to tell you straight up how this got all, all situated. I text Joe, and I said, "Hey, man, what do you think about me and you teaming up and going on this deal?" Right? <laughs> and then, well, a serious business. That's how it got started. Yep. And then Joe just took the ball and ran with it, dude. And then all of a sudden, here we are. We're going to be the coaches on hunt. <laughs> it started out me texting Joe. Hey, Joe, man, I'm serious. I'll t- check this out. I'll, what do you think about this? Me, me and you, let's go elk hunting. Let's kill this thing. Go win the championship, right? And Joe, <laughs> Joe was like, 
dude, let me check this out. He was coming back from a trip or something like that. And then before I know it, he's going, Oh bro, you know, we're not <laughs> only going to be a part of it. We're going to coach it. Like, what, <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, it was uh unbelievably cool. I'm very jealous that these guys get to do this. Cause it is going to be, I say jealous. I'm in. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, there's and no in a positive out. way. Yeah. Absolutely. No malice behind it. I'm going to be no. in these guys corners. Uh, you know, Dustin and and, uh, his partner, dude, that's going to be, yeah, yeah, Cassidy. It's going to be sweet. These boys, I can tell they're elk hunters, man. Uh, No doubt. They done put some bulls down and uh, them boys better be quaking in their boots on them other teams because these cats are strong. (laughs) You notice notice that Cassidy's last name is real. That's why he's calling, man. He just like, reeling the men that's what they call your partner sits behind you in a F-16 you're real brother oh, yeah. that's awesome dude right yeah. on man alright let's get moving sounds good Joe well guys y'all know what time it is it's time for shout out shout out just shout out to a few cities with the most listeners at top in our charts this week, Joe. And we're going to have a special shout out, man, because this happened yesterday. I, I had a good friend of Chav's and mine gives me a call yesterday to tell me that he's, he's, you ought to see our buddy, uh, Ed, Ed Chick is his name. And Ed is built, built like a Mack <laughs> truck, man. He's always in the gym working out and stuff. And he gives me a call and he says he's working out at the gym there in Pueblo, Colorado. And, you know, he has a guy working out over there and they start having a conversation and I don't know how it got to it, but somehow he started talking about Chav's journey that he's been on in the last year. And he talked about how, you know, he's come from basically well he was he was paralyzed yeah Going from not being able to walk to where he is now and he said yeah you know my buddy Leroy Chavez and and, and he said the guy got a funny look on his face and uh <laughs> kind of looked and he said uh I've heard that name before. The, the ninja? ninja? <laughs> 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 and he's like um does he have a buddy Joe Giglia? <laughs> there you go. That's him. Goes, yeah, that's Are these the guys from Elk Bros? And Ed goes, yeah, they're from Elk Bros. He's like, what? He goes, I listen to them all the time. I do not miss an episode. I have that's one. awesome. He said he just started going off, and Ed was, <laughs> Ed was like, you know, he was so excited and everything for the guy, and he's like, wow, well, yeah. And then Ed <laughs> Oh yeah, they're friends of mine, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. He said, he said, Ed called me and he says, Joe, man, he said, could you please give a big Elk Bro shout out to a fan that never misses your show, man? So here is a huge thanks and shout out to Grinder Rafael Gonzalez from Pueblo, Colorado, man. We appreciate it. Oh, hey. cool. right. Thanks so much, man, for listening to our show and running into Mr. Ed Chick. And no doubt, buddy, you got the 
you got the elk ninja sitting right here and uh joe giglia mr giggles himself <laughs> yeah. he's right, right here bro so, uh, he was just getting joe on the front end because he butchered his name too rafael <laughs> gonzalez <laughs> 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 yeah. terrible. There you go. <laughs> he called me Giglia, so old, old Rufy Al, Rufy Al, yeah. Al. <laughs> uh, and, and you know, Joe, it, it brings me back to when we first started the podcast and everything. And we're on the mountain and sitting there, and these guys walk in on us after we get done calling and everything. They walk in on us, and they're like, "Man, you know, I can hear them talking to Joe." And they, they, one of them's talking to Joe, and the other guy kind of splits off, and he comes walking over there to where, where we were. Was were you with me, Luis, when the guy walked in? Was it? No, 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 no. no but I remember the story. Yeah, yeah I remember. I was there. Chad, Chad was with me, and, and the guy yeah. up, and the guy goes, "Hello, you know, so and so." And he goes, and I start talking, and he goes, "Hey, man, I know you." <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? He goes. You're the elk bro, brother. He said, you're, you're big old. He said, you're, you're Gilbert. I said, yeah, that's me, dude. I said, that's Chab right there. I said, that's Chab. He goes, oh, my God, we're in the woods with the elk bros. He goes, man, you really wear those, he goes, you really wear those boots you were talking about, man. He goes, Amadeo Soto. And where was the guy from, Joe? I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't wait till Amadeo hears that accent. Even <laughs> yeah. though. <laughs> you made him sound like he was from water. Springer, right? It happened to us. Was it last year, Joe, or the year yeah. before last? Too? I think it was last year. And when when the guy, it, it was um uh, some real great guys from Missouri. A couple brothers from Missouri, and, and, and it was funny. It's crazy when, man. When he goes. He, he looks and he goes, you're Manano when he says in Manano, like reaches for his pistol. <laughs> <laughs> Manano is like, Manano's freaked out, man. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, and, and you're Luis and you're Manano. Joe. <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, cause Joe knows everybody. So every, yeah. every time we bump into a hunter, yeah, he, you know, he, Joe knows them. So when he goes, you're Joe. You can see Joe's wheels turning yeah. like, dude, I don't like, I don't recognize I don't you. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, but then when he said, and you're Luis and you're Manano, I'm like, Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? So, uh, God, super you. weird. When he <laughs> I know you. It was actually the year before last because they gave us some um, that um, maple uh, syrup yeah. that they made, and I gave all you guys that syrup from there last year. So I don't know. I never yeah. got any syrup. I think Manano got it all. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he can't, he got mine. It. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Moonshine is what he did. <laughs> hey. I was. All right. <laughs> I was so taken back, man, when he said, I know you. I heard you were voice before. I was like, oh, my God. I'm talking to Chad was like, Chad was like, what? <laughs> and now, guys, now for our top listening cities. Gilbert. Check this out, guys. If the Elk Bros can make it here, we can make it anywhere. This week's top listening city is one of the largest and most famous in the whole world, known for its quintessential green space Central Park and the Statue of Liberty amongst countless attractions. It consists of five boroughs 
Brooklyn's, Queens, Staten Island, and the Bronx, and Manhattan itself. It is often referred to as the Big Apple. None other than New York City, New York. I would have been first... thrown out on a loop when I read Quintessential, man. I don't even know how to pronounce it. That's child, man. That's big words, Luis. Don't ask me to spell that. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for the big guy. New York, New York. I'm ready for that big apple. Fellas, we played three teams from Staten Island, Long Island, and New Jersey when we were down there in South Carolina. I'm telling you uh, that it is a beautiful state up there in New York. I've been up there several times. And, um, St. Lawrence, we had a coach come from St. Lawrence up, way up in the northern part of New York. And uh, New York City is an unbelievable uh -oh. thing. If you've never been there, it's, it's a, uh, it never sleeps, I promise you. Well, Luis, go ahead, brother. You're yeah, next. Yeah, I was, I was going to go with the next city. Uh, so the third oldest city in Illinois, today's next up listening city serves <clears throat> as the headquarters for Prairie Farms Dairy, Inc., one of the largest dairy cooperatives in the United States and ranked in the top 10 of the largest privately held companies in the St. Louis area. Family Circle Magazine named this city third on their top 10 best towns for families in the United States, none other than Edwardsville, Illinois. Edwardsville, Edwardsville. Man, that is awesome. The Midwest is always showing up here, guys. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Okay. Up next, this city is known for its historic downtown elegant Victorian style homes, and one of Michigan's top rated public school systems. CNN Money lists the city 27th in its best places to live survey. Founded by Quakers and first named Quakertown, the town is situated at the intersection of three Native American trails, the Orchard Trail, the Grand River Trail, and the Shiawassee Trail and that's Farmington, Michigan. Farmington, Michigan. Okay, Gilbert, what part of the hand is that in, man? It was right in there. Oh, man, right in the middle, huh? Central. Mm -hmm. Oh, all right. Farmington. Okay. Hey, hey, Luis, you're, you, you're going to have to turn your mic on, dude, because your partner in crime isn't here to do the next city, so you're going to have to take it over. <laughs> responsible for him, man. He doesn't deserve my backup. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, this, city's, this city is located in the East Bay subregion of the San Francisco Bay Area. It sits on an underground fault and was devastated by an earthquake in 1868. The city was settled by Guillermo Castro as part of the Spanish land grant. Castro ended up losing his land in a card game and migrated to Chile. That's crazy. Legend. Uh, has it that the town was named after the winner of the card game, Hayward, California. Hayward, California. Oh, that's a cool story. What a story. <laughs> so my question is, I mean, how, how, does, how does Hayward call Castro? I mean, the guy's like, okay, I'm going to put up a whole 
town. <laughs> I'm pushing. <Yeah. laughs> I'm pushing yeah. my town into the pot, man. I have the D tier on my hand by you know by chance. What is it called with, man? The Langrand. Yeah. Crazy man, because it's you know right on the bay there. It's just south of Oakland, so um, oh. in, you know it's right there in the bay. So pretty wild yeah. how they decided they were going to put it in a card game. Yeah, well, heck yeah. And I mean, you, you lose, I, I guess you got to leave to go someplace, man. If you lose like that, <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, today, yeah, they didn't, they did. What's that? They didn't name a neighboring town cat. They didn't name a neighboring town Castro Valley. So his name's still oh. in that area. Oh, so they had sympathy name there, huh? <laughs> today's last top listening city is the capital of the united states do you guys hear this yeah wow. I, I, this is the top listening city of the elk Rose is the capital of the united states oh, in man. addition to being the center of the united states government it is known for its incredible history. The city limits include many historic national monuments and famous museums like the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the National Mall, the United States Capitol, and the Smithsonian Institute, among many, many others. And Let me guess. This is Houston. Cimarron, <laughs> 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 New Mexico. No. Yeah, there you go. Washington D.C. Man in the house. We it's like, thank you, Washington. Washington. I, you know, when I got to send those to Chab, I was like, really, New York City, and yes. Washington D.C. in our top listening group. I was like, that is just so doggone cool, man. Now, uh, Edwardsville and Farmington Hayward. I'm not saying y'all's peanuts. Now, no, uh, don't don't, you know, don't send me no better. Farmington is just west there of uh, Detroit on on its way to central Michigan there. So uh -huh. they, they're not – I'm sure being outside of Detroit, they're, they're no little small town, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely not, man. All right, guys, let's get rocking with uh, tonight's topic. Um, so the topic, rifle hunting elk during the rut. What does that look like? And, you know, I mean uh, – uh, one of our listeners, Shane Rasmussen, sent this in and said, you know, you, I, you guys are always talking about hunting the rut with the bow. Yeah. And, and, you know, we got other groups that hunt the rut with, you know, we have muzzle loaders that hunt. We have rifle hunters. So I think a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about now with the rifle and, you know, all of that applies, archery applies to the hunting with the rifle. Um, the rifle applies to hunting with the muzzleloader. The archery applies to hunting with the muzzleloader. So you take from these things that the things that are going to work for your area and the skill set that you got. So, um, so first thoughts on hunting the rut with a rifle, guys, is, is let's talk about how is it different or how is it the same as hunting with archery equipment? Well, I mean, as far as uh, how is it different or the same with with a, hunting with a bow, Joe? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as, as a bow hunter, you want to get them within that magical forty yards, right? I think everybody with a rifle, I mean, two hundred yards is your magical forty yards. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, I mean, the the challenge of having to just hunt in the thicker parts of places and not let yourself, you know glass and view parks and stuff like that so different you know uh, 
you can you can really use your optics and stuff like that to ambush bulls that are <clears throat> going to be in parks with cows, and you don't have to worry about uh, crossing that park and scaring them. You can shoot across the park. <laughs> you right. know yeah. So I mean, you just you triple. You, I say triple ten times your distance of bow hunting. I mean, it's really uh, an unbelievable deal how, how you don't have to worry about being in tight you can actually you know call those critters in a couple hundred yards and now there's and- going to be some guys up in some parts of idaho gilbert they're going to say man that that is where it's so thick and the timber in there that your optics are pretty much done away with so i think some of that actually depends on the area that you're at too right can they hunt in idaho in september with a with a rifle i have no idea but if yeah. they you know, I, I know in Colorado they have on that ranching with wildlife they can hunt during September yeah. there. A yeah. lot of these states um, have some special draws for you know for youth that can hunt during yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. Um, some uh, for disabilities and different things that are allowed to hunt during that time. And some of them in you know I know some ranches get to hunt you know, but that's going to be private places there. So the calling, the calling would be the same, Joe. Uh, I mean, you're going to be calling to the bull and uh, the <clears throat> calling part's the same. It's just, you know, your distance. You don't have to be so tight in your cover. You know, you can actually hunt parks and stuff like that. Yeah. With, with transitional mm-hmm. areas. And, with, and- with regards to the calls, I was going to say you know, the same thing there, Beto. The behavior of the animal doesn't change, right? It's the same elk, Maybe. same time of year. Uh, their behaviors are exactly the same. Uh, their responses will be the same. Yeah. So, I mean, you just, if you understand the behavior, then you can certainly set yourself up with, uh, with the equipment that you're planning to shoot. If, if you're, you know, are an archer, then the way we like to hunt them is areas where we can get close to them. Obviously open parks don't work uh, for, for that. We've been in an open park and want to call one across. And he was uh, 125 yards from us, and we ain't yeah. taking a shot, right? Right, and then I, and then oh, as a rifle, it's a different it's a different story, right? I mean, you you can play the terrain uh, to your favor as well. You will have more advantage, especially if it's during the same time now in the rut. I would think. So, favor and pull push your mic down a little more, bro. I said this a thousand times. I've been with RC Knox, muzzleloaded, nothing, and. You know, <laughs> I'm like Jiminy Christmas if we only had these opportunities, you know, with a, with a rifle. How many times do bow hunters say yeah. that? I mean, yeah. many, <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you there's not a bow hunter listening right now that hasn't been out there hunting and gone, dude, if I had a rifle, <laughs> you know, we'd be done. Yeah. We'd be done, Joe. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'd, we'd tag out in the first two days. Yeah. I mean, you think about our first day archery hunting last year. I kill that seven by seven looking at me straight on at 80 yards and he is smoked. I mean, I see him right in the crease where the patch meets the, the Chester and poof, we let the air out of that <laughs> man. You know what I'm talking about? My 300 ultra mag it's over. You know? So RC, you guided on the ranch for years, man, doing the, the rifle and doing the archery. Uh, did your tactics change? Uh, yes. <laughs> Most definitely, most definitely. Uh, you know, you're you, during the archery season, during the bow, 
it's a whole different ball game. You, you know, you, you've got an animal that's talking to you. You're going to make a move. You're going to try to get in. And, and if he gets in the trees, you don't worry about it. You just go, okay, cool. Now, now we're on, now you can move on. Uh, with a rifle, it's a, to me, it was a whole different ball game because I don't want to get in, uh, the dark timber or bedroom or anything like that with rifle. I'm, I'm going to try to set up to where, uh, it, to me, it's more of a waiting game. I mean, early in morning, you got a chance to where they're moving up or you can get ahead of them and maybe get a park or something like that. But in the, in the evenings, it's just, you know, you just hope that you got enough time and you generally do. The bull's going to come out and uh, now but you I, want them in the park. I'm going to throw this caveat in there is that you were on private property. So that brings a little bit different mm-hmm. feel to the whole thing. You know, sometimes that waiting game um, gets disturbed by other people out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean... Like, I, I mean, I know it's definitely different. And, and, you know, Gilbert, you brought up something that was real important. You said that, you know, you're shooting 10 times further than what you do with the bow, right? So now the safety factor changes a little bit because yeah. you're hunting during the rut. And yeah. if you are calling and you have a rifle and you're sounding like an animal, uh, there's some things that you had better be sure of if you're out there calling during the rut. Number one, I, mm-hmm. I definitely would be, and I'm sure every state, you know, if you're hunting with a rifle, you got to have a certain percentage of orange on you, right? And I do not think mm-hmm. I would be hunting in a tan jacket <laughs> at all, you know? I, oh, I wouldn't man. be doing that. And, yeah, and, and even, you know, I mean, the same rules apply with the bow but it's even more so with the rifle that is so critical that before you pull a trigger or shoot an animal that you absolutely know what the background is or you're never shooting on a skyline because that whole safety <laughs> factor part of it changes a lot yeah. right so yes. i mean i just want to put that out there that's not like strategies or anything but it's just one way that that changes because i think that in some ways the goals of the two are the same you know, get a response, determine the location, get in the best shooting position, and then close the deal, right? Mm-hmm. So, in that way, they're the same. But to me, it's kind of like what RC was saying, that the goals, though, of the archer and the rifle hunter can be, not always, because there's some people that hunt with a rifle just like you hunt with a bow. And sure. they're going to chase those bugles. They're going to go in and they're going to try to get an 80-yard shot, 70-yard shot, 50-yard shot, you know, whatever it is <clears throat> when they're chasing that bugle to get that animal. But really the goals for the archer is they want the thicker the better. They want to get them in the timber like what RC was talking about. And then for the rifle, the more open the better. They want to get them in the open or the thinly areas or the brushy you know ridge vegetation where they can spot them or glass them up and and then get in position for a shot so yeah i i think in some ways they're similar and you can go with that in some ways that they're different so if if you rc had a rifle hunter on state land 
and you've got to you got to do what we said you got to you know get a response determine location get in best shooting position would you be starting at that animal's level let's say it's first thing in the morning would you be starting chasing that bugle at that animal's level? Would you try to be at a higher elevation? What would be in your mindset? I think that you would have to be, uh, like you say, you know, you could, as an archer, you don't ever want to be chasing them up the hill. Right. But with a rifle, there's a possibility that you might get an open shot or something like that. But I... I'm still going to go with the plan that, you know, if I can get you within a hundred yards or 80 yards, I know that you're going to do a good job. So I'm, I'm going to go in, you know, and try to create that. So I'm saying that, you know, uh, if you got to get ahead of them or if you got to get on the side of them or whatever to be able to get that one open shot wouldn't that's the difference between that and a bow a bow you've got to be you know 40 yards and with a rifle there's a lot of times you guys know that when you're walking alongside of them or trying to get you know parallel with them you've got that 100 yard shot yep absolutely absolutely okay so let me ask you guys this you you're you're hunting in september with a rifle you got critters that are bugling do you call or don't call? With, with a rifle, you said? Yes, sir. I mean, if they're bugling and you're with a rifle, I mean, if you can close the gap without having to, to, to make a sound, um, you know, you take that opportunity to see if you can get a visual uh, at a distance enough to take the shot without having to call. So why are you carrying a, a, a grunt tube and a diaphragm with you then? during the rifle i mean during a september hunt with the rifle is there quiet yeah a lot of times in the early part of the rut joe they 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 don't uh they won't answer right mm -hmm. so i mean if you just get one location <laughs> yeah just location or whatever and you know where his location is you're gonna slip in there on him and a lot of times you won't ever have to make a sound with the rifle if you get within 200 yards of him and you put eyes on him he's a dead bull you know you don't have to call to him you know, you use the, use your wind and use the terrain, get yourself in position. He's normally going to either be in a bachelor group of other bulls, or he's going to have a few cows with him and stuff like that. And, you know, if he's sounding off all the time, well, you know, he's got cows with him. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then you might want to, if you can't get to where you can see him, the wind won't let you or whatever, then you might want to see if you can call his cows to you, uh, get him to show himself. Same thing with us you know, when we're, when we're, uh, bow hunting, you know, uh, but I've said this a thousand times, if I can put eyes on a bull and I got the wind in my favor, I don't even have to say a word. I'm killing him. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to slip in there, put the Mohican sneaking on him. And, uh, I've done it, <laughs> done it several times, you know, got, got within 12 feet of them, you know, I mean, <laughs> serious business, son. I mean, get right in their kitchen, so it can be done. You got to use your woodsmanship and be slow about your movements. And time of day makes a lot of difference. Cause, and, you know, and, and wear the Valkyrie camouflage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I, I use it mostly to stop the bull. 
Uh huh. I mean, you know, you're gonna they're generally moving or something like that, and you want to make sure you don't have any cows around him, and he and he moves out and he's moving really fast or something. You can throw a scream at him and he's going to stop. Right and turn broadside. And broadside. Yeah. Right. Give it to me, fella. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had guys that, and I've got a real good friend that says, you know, hunt smart, not hard. And, you know, he says that the best thing to do is to get a high point, get your optics out and find them boogers, you know, um, exactly. and then, and then move in on them. But, you know, I think there's a, depends on the type of the, the time of the year. Absolutely. I agree with you, man, because and, and most, are, dead, most of those guys that are hunting, in the rut with a rifle are going to be later in that hot part of the rut, Joe, that first part last week of September, first part of October, October. Uh, yep. Yeah. And dude, it is like on fire. You know, yeah. I've been, I've been privy to being RC been together on some of the most yeah. epic freaking uh, yeah. loader hunts. Other people can hunt with a rifle, but we couldn't. And I'm telling you straight up, dude, it is bonkers. Does it change muzzle loader to rifle? I mean, I, I mentioned that before. Does does it change? Do you feel like there's a difference in tactics? I like to hunt. I like to hunt with a muzzle loader because it's just like when I hunt with a muzzle loader, I'm thinking that we're bow hunting. Yeah. Yeah. And I want that fifty <laughs> yard shot. But I can't mean, you think the same way with a rifle? You can hunt that way, Joe, but you don't have to because you got exactly. you got distance to be your friend. You got the long range. Yeah, and, so, and you can hunt. You can hunt parks where you know, like RC said, you can hunt parks where you know they're going to chase the cows down to and mill around and eat in the evenings and early in the mornings. That's where they're going to be. I mean, first bull I ever called in and and killed with a muzzleloader was in a big, huge park full of elk early in the morning in a fifty mile an hour gale wind. Right. And uh, we, we stalked within like 130 yards of that sucker and knocked him down five times. I mean, it was crazy, man. But seriously, there was 30 bulls down there with the whole rest of them. And we didn't kill the biggest one. We killed the oldest and nastiest looking one. Uh, <laughs> my, 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 my friend, uh, Jeremy Christopherson, he loved that bull, you know. And uh, we, because, man, we snuck in there on him, Joe. You know, well, and you, you, you bring up another point. I mean, you guys were right on them at daylight. So, uh, locating them in the dark, like we do with the archery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so no, we didn't because the wind was so bad. We just kept easing forward 40 yards at a time. And I would scream a location bugle and a cow call. Okay. And I mean, it was crazy. Cause we just keep easing forward about 40 yards, making sure the wind is, you know, he was gassing so hard. I don't think it really mattered, but we were right into the wind and uh, we kept easing up through the, the dark timber part on the side of a ridge, not down in the middle of it, up on the side of it. So we're really, when, when, when yeah. we follow Joe, he, he gasses pretty bad too. <laughs> you know what? I was, I was listening today to um, uh, Western Contours. Shout out to Guy Duplanche. I was listening to Western Contours. You guys got to listen to the latest one that, that they had on, on uh, high altitude sickness. It is a, it's a great podcast, man. Yeah. You know, Guy knocks it out of the park with his guest there, but his guest is, I mean, he specializes in high altitude sickness, has studied it, been in the Himalayas, done all this. And interesting fact is, is that at high altitude, 
you have more gas because no, you li you live at high, in high altitude, dude, and no, no, you got no, more no. gas than we do. Question. Flatlanders do. Question: Question: Have you ever bought a bag of potato chips at oh, four yeah. or six thousand feet and gone up to eight thousand? What happens yeah. to that bag of potato chips? Boom! Our bag burns. The moment you open it, it's all back to normal. You you for some reason keep on giving it for ten days. <laughs> hey, well, we'll just take a knife and punch him. <laughs> exactly. Release some of that, like a bloated cow, you know. You and know, it might be a hazmat. And you uh, punch it right there. Yeah. We might have to call a team of hazmat if that happens, man. <laughs> but to all our listeners, if you have not. You, I'm telling you, if any of you are going from low altitude to high altitude, go listen to Western Contours. Um, it just came out this morning, and I and so today is the fourth of August. Uh, it was either today or yesterday that it came out, and and on altitude sickness, it is um, it is great information to help you so that you don't have to go through that when you get on there. Okay, so getting back getting back to what I was telling you uh -huh. though is we would move forward every 40 yards, right. And call. And I let out a bugle. And when I let out a bugle, it sounded like a bull was fixing to run me over. Right. Oh, and oh. I'm like, being with it windy like that, you know, they were close. Cause I mean, wow. I'm like, I look at Jeremy. He looked at me and he's like, <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> you know, I'm serious. We're like, what do we do now? I'm like, dude, it's gotta be right there. So we just ease into some of Jack pines and easing around, easing around. He's, and man, as soon as we popped out and they were in this little pocket, so the wind was breaking it. And there was probably, I don't know, 75 head of elk in there with about 25 wow. bulls. I mean, unbelievable. And I'm like, dude, this is which one do we pick? You know, he's like, <laughs> I'm gonna pick the closest, biggest one. And this one bull was all black and muddy, and he'd been fighting like crazy with all the other ones. He come roaring up in there at about 134 yards, and I ranged him there. Dude, he put the slam on him with that 50 cal muzzle loader and he got up joe <laughs> i've never seen a bull do this in my he shot that bull five times and rc knox can attest to it he hit him every time in the pocket i'm talking yep. like in every the time. room and that bull got up five times that bull got up you know how hard it is to, to load a muzzle loader five times on the ramrod trying to get that thing loaded again. Oh, my God. I mean, it was crazy. After the third one, it's like, forget it. So, so oh, I, yeah. I, I have a question. When you guys, <laughs> you guys cleaned that bowl, just, just for my own sake of wrapping my head around this, you know, I know all those bullets were in the pocket on that one side. Were, were they pass-throughs? A couple were pass-throughs, but most of them did most not. Most of them were. No. Yeah. Most of them were. They were buried in the skin on the backside. Yeah, that's it. He got, I don't know, four of them, I think, back. And got right. how, far, how far was the shot? 134 yards on the first. Yeah. yeah, and look, we used three big pellets. I mean, look, he when he po when he hit him the first time, I'm telling you, man, Bull did a backflip. Like, I'm, we were <laughs> high-fiving and dogpiling, and the Bull got up, son. I mean, when he shot him the first time, down goes Frazier, and Frazier got up. I'm like, what in the world? I said, well, man, we, you know, we got to put another one in him. So we're trying to reload that thing, man. He just walks up the hill and he beds down under a big pine tree. I'm like, oh, hey, man, you know, at any time, then he's going to die. Yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty tough animals. Yeah. Son, let me I, tell you, he yeah. got up after being under that pine tree for 20 minutes. 
I'm radioing for help and stuff like that. And, and uh, Mr. Carl Gammons told me, if the bull's got his head up, shoot him again. I'm like, Carl, he got me like five reps, shoot him again. Like, Carl don't want to be chasing no bull, man. And by, yeah. at that same time, R.C. Knox has knocked a giant bull down, right? I mean, it was crazy. We killed four bulls that morning, that muzzleloader morning. It was chaos. Wow. I'm telling you. I got a, I got a question, Joe, uh-huh. um, with regards to the, the rifle hunting, you know? So yes. And, and, and I've been, actually, I was with Beto. We had an ex- experience. Uh, I was hunting with a rifle and there was a lot of glassing tape in place. Right. And so, but one of the things I, I noticed then was that if you, you can glass and you can actually see elk in certain areas, but the terrain made it to where we really couldn't get to those areas. Right. And even if we tried to, you would lose the perspective of where the animal was. And maybe by the time you even got there, you, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be there either. Um, obviously this wasn't during the rut, but, um, right after it though, it was after. And then, and then obviously it just, the question is how hard is it? Like if you're in the rut, you you really have to know your terrain. It's my, you know, in order to be able to be able to glass and make the full benefit of glassing and then be able to sneak in to these animals if they're far away, because if you don't, then you're, you're lost on the attempt. Well, man, that's where having a good partner and you guys having good hand signals and, and using something like your base map uh, is critical because I mean, you take like base map, you take our base map GPS. I have that animal standing right out in front of me. I'm able to look at it and it does that navigation line that goes out. And you can, I mean, it marks exactly how far that animal is because you can pretty much look at it, look where you have out there. You can range it to find the distance. So now all you got to do is take your base map thing and just go right towards in the direction. You look at the distance and you mark exactly on your base map where that animal is. Now you keep your partner right there. You guys are communicating and you go on, if you have to go a dog on my, it, and if right. they're bedded, right? It just depends on the situation. Right. And if that means if you have to go a mile around, now you have exactly where that critter is in your hand right there. Mm. And if, if, if that animal has gotten up, all he's got to do is tell, give you a signal. Has he gone to the right? Is he, is he still in the same place? Has, is he, has he got up and left? Is he over? to that side. I mean, they just got to give you the hand signals to help guide you as to what's happened or communicate. If you have a walkie talkie yeah. or if you're texting or something like that. I mean, with the tools that we have today and you're able to spot it and you have a range finder, dude, there's and with base map, there is no reason you should ever lose that animal. Okay. At, at all. And, and I know what you're talking about because especially through binos, you can look mm-hmm. at something through binos and that ground between you and that animal changes completely. Oh, yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. It changes completely. I'm telling you, this would be my 12th season hunting elk. And I guarantee you I'd be 11 for 11 if I had a rifle in my hand every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I'll be 11 for 11. Uh, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Oh, yeah. So that's why I was going to say, though, Gilbert, I, to me – I think if anybody that had a rifle in their hand, 
hunted like a bow hunter, they're going to kill an elk. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, for, Especially for if they me, can hunt during the rut, Joe. Yeah, I mean, if you're just going to go to a high point, and it, again, it depends on the terrain. You get out there in areas of Arizona, you get in some of the, the, the sage flats, and you get into some of these rolling places in the, in the prairies and stuff of, of the, well, I think that's like also in Wyoming out there. Um, I've even seen in the Dakotas, and even here in New Mexico, where you can get at a high point, and you can just glass until you find that critter where he's bedded. But that's usually the later hunt again. You know, when you're talking rut, they're talking to you. And what I was going to tell Luis is if that animal is bedded down, and even if I looked and I know, and, and my partners tell me he's right there, he's still, he hasn't moved. And I look and I'm like, well, I don't have a shot. I'm not able to see him. Shoot, man, it's the rut. Man, I'm going to give a doggone challenge bugle, and I guarantee move you forward. he's going to stand up. Throw it back and move forward. I'm going to tell you right now, every muzzleloader hunt I've ever been on and every rifle hunt during the rut, I've been on several rifle hunts during the rut in October. Uh, in, right there in the border of Colorado, New Mexico area. Everyone, we've 100%. And every one of the shots were within 125 yards. Yeah. And, or less. I mean, I called a bull in for Randy, Randy uh, Thomas, and Randy shot that bull at 77 yards. And probably could have shot him at 40 if we just let him keep walking. Yeah. You know? I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, like I said, every – if you hunt that way with a with a rifle, you're going to be very very successful, man. Because you you don't have to get him into forty yards if he's within eighty yards and you can see he's that much of the kill bugling. zone. He's bugling, man. Exactly. He's telling you where he's at. Exactly. Yeah. I, like I said, I'd be I would be one hundred percent eleven for eleven. Big old bulls, man. Uh, straight up big ones. You know, ain't no midgets. All big ones. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. 
So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Yeah, last year, <laughs> last year, oh, Brendan, Brendan had been, we'd have been shot out the first day. I called that bull back in seven times. But you know, seven times I called that bull back in. I think that. there's a huge problem when people put a firearm in their hand. And I have seen it in myself in that sometimes you hunt differently. You hunt with this attitude of, well, I can reach out and touch them from 400 yards and you and you almost act like that and instead of being stealthy or instead of cutting you know cutting the distance and getting in on an animal it's like you know you you just a little different look shane rasmussen if you want to know what it looks like out there um when you're hunting with that rifle besides the fact that you've got to be extra safe man you've got to make sure that you know if you're going to call that you've got that orange you're not going to put yourself in a bad position and you've got to know where that gun is shooting at all times but basically bud i am hunting a ton like i've got a bow in my hand and in doing that now i'm i'm going to have shots that dude i mean that i can make and you know in fact i think some people the problem is when they hunt like that is sometimes their shots are too close mm-hmm. you know they're too yeah, close sure. hey you know joe talking about that we want to make sure when we're in tight when we're 40 yards and in or let's say 60 yards and in, we we dial that scope that variable scope back on around four Look, let's talk about four let's talk about possible failure points <clears throat> yeah. tips, man and <clears throat> I, I tell you what i have my guys when they're hunting with me you're on four X until yeah. we need to dial in because I mean, there's been a, there has been a crap load of elk over the, I don't know how much in the last century that have been killed with a four X scope. Oh, been more people mean? taking with a four power scope than anybody. Yep. I mean, yep. Seriously, that's and what they used to snack with back in the day. I mean, offhand. Power weaver. yeah, for sure. You know, again, the failure point with that is when you got it dialed up on six or 10, you can't find the animal. You know, you got his hair black. You know, yeah, and you got his hair. <laughs> got it. You got it. And you're like, oh, you're like, you called him in. He's broadside, and you're like, I'm like, shoot him. I can't see him. I'm like, wait a minute. You, he's standing I, in front of you. Throw the gun at him. I Stop. had a bull for what? a hunter. I had a bull with a friend of mine at a hundred yards, standing mm-hmm. broadside, for over three minutes before we had to give up because he couldn't find him in his scope. And he was just so shook up, you know, he was all shook up and nervous come to find out he had his scope dialed all the way up, man. 14 or 24 or whatever it is. Find the critter. So, you know, it was just in, and he never, he was so shook up in his head and then when he couldn't find it, he got more shook up that, Mm. yeah, it was just one of those things. So that's one of the biggest failure points, man, is not being able to find that bull in your scope. That's a big one. What's what's some other failure points that that uh, when we're rifle hunting? Uh, I'll tell you practicing. I was going to say practicing from different positions and using different props to lay the rifle on. You bet. I have people that come out all the time that um, 
are shooting off shooting sticks for the first time. <laughs> Never shot up. I mean, they literally open up the package. Yeah and take the shooting sticks and they've never shot off them before. Now, not only is that weird for them to get to do, but the process of getting into your shot position takes a long time because they haven't worked at getting into their shot position. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, or they haven't shot off a tree like, or, or prone on a pack or sitting mm -hmm. on their knees or, you know, I mean, I have friends of mine that that they, they look at some people and they're like, he's a hundred yards, pull up and pop me. Yeah. yeah. Just shoot him, man. You know I mean? Uh, if you can't hit a pie plate at a hundred yards offhand, you probably need to keep practicing. Which pin? Yeah. Which pin? All of them. <laughs> but practice that. I mean, if you're a rifle hunter, I right. would doggone practice shooting something offhand at a hundred yards mm -hmm. at 80 yards. I, I would absolutely be doing that, man. And I mean, if <clears throat> a bow hunter can shoot a target with an arrow at a hundred yards, I guarantee you that you should be able to squeeze off one and put that bull down like right now. Okay. But I see, can you think of something else, brother? Oh yeah. There's a couple things that, um, you know, these guys are, you're going out and you went to the range and you shot your gun. And when you got, and you got it sighted in and when you got back, you cleaned it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's That's all good. Yeah. I think all guns need to be cleaned, but after you, hunt. when you get to the field or before you go out to the field, shoot, shoot your gun at least one time before going to the field and in the second shot make sure that it's it's where it's supposed to be because Burning the first shot the ain't going to be there right especially when you got to burn burned up the oils that you that that are in in your in your barrel you want to exactly. see barrel exactly so that's a big point there i think that they need to be able to do that and i'll add to that too rc is that a lot of these guys are sighting their guns in at low altitude and oh, then coming to totally high different. altitude, uh, that makes a lot of shoot when you yeah. get to camp. Gotta yeah. shoot when you get to camp. Yeah, it's no different than us shooting our bow, having Absolutely. a judo point and shooting at a stump or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you need to you need when before you go out, if you're coming from low altitude to high altitude, you better go shoot that gun because it is going to be shooting differently, man. And, and, and fellas, make sure you got more than one. You know four or five shells with you bring you a <laughs> of shells. and make sure that your box of shells if it says all the same yeah all the same it says 300 wind mag <laughs> it better be a 300 wind mag you're shooting because you can shoot a 300 wind mag out of a 300 weatherby but you can't shoot a 300 weatherby out of a 300 wind mag no no so ask me how i know my cousin tells me, Gilbert, I, I got a 300 Win Mag. Okay, cool. I'll, he, he said, I don't got no bullets, cute no elk. I said, I, I got you, bro. I go and buy him two boxes of bullets because I know we're going to shoot when we get to the camp. We, we drive into the camp at a beautiful ranch, man. Unbelievable bull that he killed. He killed a 417-inch bull. I mean, a giant, right? So, uh, anyway, he gets there and he shoots – like four bullets and i mean stacks them right but it 
man, it just don't sound right. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? I say it don't sound right. It sounds okay. It's loud as all get out. And then he jacks a, a, a beautiful Seiko 300 wind mag, right? Uh-uh. It's a 300 Weatherby, all right? He shoots that wind mag ammunition through that Weatherby, and it form, it form fires the casing. I'm talking just swedges it out little bitty all the way. Oh, wow. And where it next down, it just made it all straight, right? So when we ejected a couple of them, Travis went over there and got it, and he goes, oh, my God. He goes, this bullet come out of your – he goes, man, is this an Ackley? He looks at it like it's an Ackley improvement. He goes, he goes – he looked at the bottom and he goes, "This you shoot a wind mag? And Ty goes, yeah, I'll shoot a 300 wind mag. <laughs> Wilbur looked at the side again. Yeah, it's 300 Weatherby mag. <laughs> right? So wow. luckily, luckily, some guys in our camp had a box of 300 Weatherby mag mm. that he could shoot through it. Or he'd had to – I brought my 300 Ultra, but he wanted to shoot it with his daddy's gun. His daddy passed away, and that was his daddy's gun, and it meant the world to him. So those guys loaned him a box of shells and – he got it done, man. But so yeah, I, always check your shelves, brother. I, I want to give out some other tips as far as some of the, the failure points that we're doing here. And uh, as far as the call, like RC said, man, a call is a great way to stop an animal that's moving. And you guys have heard us say before that if a, a, that a bull has or elk have a fatal flaw, that they will stop and turn broadside. So if even if you have shot and you spooked some animals or some animals have seen you and they're running for the trees, get those trees ranged, man, because they are going to go to those trees. They're going to go five stop. yards in. They're yeah, going to turn broadside and look back to see what's what's changing what, or where they're yeah, at. Yeah, what scared them, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I know it will because I watched – Steve Tucker blow the horn off of an elk and I stopped him <laughs> running up the backside of a hill with a, with a daggum cow call. I mean, and the, the bull had been knocked down. We thought he slammed him. RC and I are high five in the whole nine yards bull jumps up and takes off. And I stop him again at 150 yards and Steve shoots three feet over his back. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? How did that you're not, uh, Tucky, you're not going to listen to this, man. He's like, going, oh, man, they told my story. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm telling you. But when we walked down there to go look for blood and everything, Arcee's like, oh, he, he knocked him down and got up and missed the second time. But he slammed him that first time. Dude, we walked down there and the front of his front is laying in the dirt. And the daggum perfect bullet of a barn's peeled back bullet is laying right there next to it. Am I lying, RC Knox? No, that's right. That's that right. is the true yeah. story. The bullet is laying there, and we can see it laying there. And I'm hitting him in the hole. Brings up another point, bud, and for everybody listening. Look, anytime you shoot an elk and he drops in his tracks. Get ready. You, you had better, better get, get ready, man, well, because either that booger is spined or he is spine stung. Or he's been shot in his horn. Shot like in his we're talking about that. Don't do the same. We stopped him. Knocked again. him out. Yeah. We stopped him again, not forty-five yards from where it knocked him down because he heard another. <laughs> he heard another bugle cow call, and he just stops and turns broadside again. And I, I had so anyway. Tucker gets another shot at him and shoots three feet over his back, and he, me and RC are looking at each other, and Tucker, I said. <laughs> 
hands up. He goes, there's something wrong with this gun. I said, there ain't nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with that gun. I'm going to tell you straight up, you wild-ass Canadian. There is nothing wrong with the guns. The next day, we got together, and we went down there and shot those guns. Carl Gammons laughed his ass off. I am well, part of Part of the problem, though, is that that he wasn't – look, I always instruct people, anytime you're elk hunting and you take a shot, you're going to stay on that animal. You're racking another shot, staying on that animal, and you're ready for a follow-up. Mm-hmm. If that critter starts to get back up, you're going to put him down, man. Uh, you do not want an elk walking off. And, and well, We had a muzzleloader, so it takes a little bit of time to jack well, another. I'm talking rifle, man. I, yeah, even that. I mean, you go through it, could take some time, and then it's hard. You know, you're shooting at 200 yards. You're shooting at 300 yards. Sometimes finding a blood trail where they were at is tough. And that's another point, too, is that – when you've done that, and number one, again, you're always ready. You rack it, you're ready, man, to take that other one. If you do, then you're not panicking like what happened to Tucker. It's like, oh, my God, you know, I've got to throw a shot off. And and that's what he did. He never even really focused. He just threw his shot off. But, you know, if if you have, if you're ready and you're ready for your follow-up, now, once you've seen that that animal has either gone down or gone into the trees or whatever, you're again, just like I told Luis when, before about an animal that's bedded, you're going to range where that animal was. You're going to get out your base map with that navigation. You're going to get in that direction. You're going to mark exactly where that animal is or pretty doggone close to it within a certain amount of proximity that's going to help you out. Okay, so that that's critical. Um, those are some of the best points that we can have. But, you know, Shane, when you ask what it looks like as far as hunting elk with the rifle in the rut is think like you got a bow in your hand. Now, there's going to be a lot of people. That's that's my opinion. There's other people wow. that like to get up in glass and then go after them. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and if, if you are in a situation where that works and you have found an area that's a little honey hole that you don't have to worry about being disturbed or, you know, but I'm talking about the rut time of year. It's different later on because they're not talking and people have to glass them up. But during the rut, these critters are talking. So you get a chance to hear those bugles. You get a chance to chase those bugles. You get a chance to do some calling and locate. And it's just an exciting time. And there is nothing like and with a rifle in your hands uh man it's it's if there are critters in the area man i mean it 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 should be it should be something that is a lot of fun and um be celebrating and doing the happy dance man i'm telling you one of the things i was going to say is that when you take that shot most likely you're going to be on sticks you're going to be on your knee you're going to be on your belly you're going to have a good rest right Mm-hmm. Just rack another shell, right, and stay there. Stay right. right there and watch that animal. I mean, if he if he takes one step, I mean, he may hump up, and yeah, it's a good shot most of the time. Shoot him again. Mm-hmm. This is my philosophy. I want two holes in him. Oh, and I'll tell you, I'll give you another tip. Binoculars are for glassing from the top of a mountain. Exactly. You've got an elk out there in park. <laughs> that's not a time to use your binos. You use your Ooh. scope. Oh. You exactly. use your scope to look at that animal so that if you end up in a shooting situation, you're not putting your binos down and then try having to try to find the animal in the scope. So binos for 
glassing up high, scope for looking at animals that are anywhere within shooting range, okay? Now, one of the things that I always tell myself and also other hunters, and, you know, as a bow hunter, you're doing the same thing, is I paint a red dot on the animal itself. So I know that as a guide, that's the first thing I would do is that, you know, his guide doesn't have his binoculars, but he's got his scope up. And you have to worry about sometimes that he doesn't bring his gun down to that red dot where he needs to put that shot placement. So I always would say red dot. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's probably what what's his name did when he blowed the horn off. He was still looking at the horns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't look at we the may, We may want to clarify um, when you're saying paint a red dot on the animal in case Manano listens to this episode. Because <laughs> he may just be wanting to run out there with a, with a you know, marker or something yeah, marker. and try to chase the animal down to paint it uh -huh. before, you know. Tucker yeah. yeah. kind of laid that off on it, too, is he's never shot with gloves on. Okay. And when he shoved his glove in that, in that trigger guard, that glove's a lot fatter, right? <laughs> so the gun went off probably before he decided he wanted to really start squeezing when he shoved his finger in there. Guys, if you hunt with gloves, thick gloves on, same thing when you're, when you're hunting with an archery release, you want to make sure you practice. If you're hunting with gloves on, you better make sure you're practicing with gloves on because it is going to be different pressure that will make that trigger go off with your rifle, rifle and your uh, sure. bow. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man, let's go to the Elk Bros mailbox. That's good. Bro. All right, so we got Mark from Cleburne. Is that how you would pronounce that, Beto? Cleburne, Texas? Cleburne, Texas, yep. Cleburne? Cleburne, Cleburne Texas. Texas. Mr. Mark says, I've listened to all your podcasts and have base camp. Y'all do a great job. My question is, if you don't know where the elk are, but you're in lots of fresh sign, where do you position your shooter when you start uh, a cold calling sequence. I think, um, did you want to throw something out there, Luis? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, again, this is my stab at it, but uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer what I think and then I'll let you guys correct me. Um, the, <laughs> there is, uh, there's two, there's two things I, I see to this question. Well, first of all, I, if I'm seeing sign and I'm not hearing them first, I'm going to try to, I, I don't want to set up yet until I try to get a response, you know, because I would want, I would want to understand where they're at first and then understand the win in order to set up my, sh my shooter and then be the caller behind the shooter based on where the L car. So that would be the first thing. Now, if you are certain that the elk are there, you, you're certain you can smell them, they're close, and you feel pretty confident that you know which direction the elk are in and you know you're close and you don't want to risk it, then I would just make sure that if you know where they're at and you understand the wind, you obviously are going to position that shooter uh, between – you the color and the elk 
you know, and, uh, that's the way I would tackle that situation. Using the wind, knowing that those animals are yes, how they're going to use the wind. Right. I mean, there's, there's only certain, so many directions that you can have that shooter to be able to fan out because if the elk's in another area coming in, they're going to smell you. So mm. the wind dictates where you're yes. going to have your shooter. And, and the other thing that kind of dictates it and, and uh, Luis, I love, man, I loved how you answered that because you, know, you did a Perfect. really good job, man. And yep. in that, you know, and I understand what he's saying is sometimes that, you know, and, and you, then you went a step further, Luis, is that sometimes you're seeing fresh, fresh sign, you're smelling the elk in the wind like that. So, you know, that you got to set up and, or you're just seeing steaming droppings, you're seeing fresh, fresh track, and you think those animals are where they can hear you. And so you're going to do and work a, a long scenario in mm. order to bring those elk to you. So, but again, it's still the same principle. The wind right. dictates because, if I'm going, there's no way I can put my shooter in a direction where the wind's going towards the elk. It's not going to matter that direction. So our only chance is putting my shooter up there where I have wind to a crosswind up there to be able to cover an area. And I'm going to want, depending on how open or how thick it is, remember the thicker that the, that the vegetation is, the closer you want to be to your shooter as a caller, okay? Because you're going to pull them in and you're going to, it's going to be tight. It's going to be close, mm -hmm. man, um, when they get that shot trying to get into those shooting lanes. The, the more open it is, the more back you can be away from your shooter um, so that you can still see them, but you can pull an animal by them without hanging up. But Luis gave you the exact answer, man. The wind dictates that. You know, yeah. absolutely. So, now, um, very well done, guy. Thank you, brother. Yeah, and I, I, for me, Joe, I like the two shooter approach. If you got two guys, yeah, yeah. Man, set them out on each you side. Can fan out, yes. Yeah, you got the you know the inverted V, the flying V that we use, and man, I'm telling you, it is deadly. Uh, you know, I used to think one on one's a great deal, but I really feel like two on one's even better. You know, and yeah, and then you. You know, like us, Joe or whoever else is with us, we're all hunting. So, I mean, you got three guys in the set that's got a, you know, that's got an arrow and and, uh, and a bow with them. Man, something's going to die. You know? And what are you talking about? If you're not able to envision <laughs> that, guys, is uh, we're in inverted, we're in a V basically. So with the collar, you know, being the the bottom of the V and having those uh having the shooters out and and a lot of times our caller is a hunter as well that has a bow with them just in case something happens uh where an animal does slip by one of these guys we've had it happen i mean i had it happen with me and chav and so uh but when you have that and and the other thing is you could actually do the l where you have you know somebody straight ahead in the wind uh right in front of you and then somebody on more on the downwind side so in case that bull tries to circle around, uh, it's just whatever you're going to try during that particular one there. So Chav, let's go to the next one. Okay. We have Adam Weiser or Visser from Calgary, Canada. Uh, you talk about glunking at a herd bull when the cows are between you and the herd bull. Wouldn't that bring the cows over to you first? If it did bring the cows over, wouldn't you possibly get busted by a cow and have the herd run off, thus starting to chase all over again. Well, and then the, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, what I wanted to say, first of all, is a glunk is not uh, a call that cows respond to. 
a, a glunk a glunk is a tending sound by a bull that is just you know he's basically popping the top of his mouth as he's trying to get scent and as he's kind of hurting and letting those cows know where he is it's a tending sound so oh. it's not something that's going to bring cows cows you know, unless that bull starts hooking them or doing something like that, they just know that he's present and he, they can hear him working as he's going around and know where he's at. So, but when you do that glunk with that bull on the other side and those cows, that bull hears it and he hears a bull tending his cows. Yeah, he's coming, buddy. Yeah. An intruder. <clears throat> it's like living in the middle finger. Uh, you know. <laughs> 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 you in a, you in a you guys ever been in a bar room and you know you're tending some some female and, you know somebody walks up and says hey man that's my old lady you know well everybody's going fingers up and somebody's getting whooped right go mess with somebody else's lady right so it's the same way with you okay? And, and, and Joe is like, Joe is like, how did we end up at the bar? All of a sudden, I go straight redneck here. <laughs> he spent he spent too much time back in South Carolina in my hometown. <laughs> but you know, the same thing goes for the pants and and the 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 wines and those little yeah, those are all tending yeah. sounds. That frustrated bull. <laughs> working and stuff like that and you know those cows you watch those cows when they're doing that it's his presence when he starts doing that visual thing with his horns and starts getting threatening that they kind of pay attention to otherwise mm. they can just hear him out there doing that tending and that frustration they'll just keep doing their thing all and right to add something to that adam the one that you got to look out for is the lead cow I mean, she's the one who's handling where their position is, right? And uh, that bull, if you can get him thinking he's got another satellite, or, uh, and that's what the glunking's going to do. He's going to think there's another bull coming in there. Uh, if you ever get between him and the cows, it's over. Game, set, match. He's coming, you know. Yep. So, I mean, that's your, that's your whole idea is try to get between him and the cows. And, uh, I mean – it, it, you, you got the right idea, but don't worry about them cows when you're using that glunk. It's going to be the bull that comes comes to you, not he, the cow. He has another question, too. Yeah. Okay, the second part of Adam's question is, I hunt in the prairies of Calgary, Alberta. It can be hard hunting because there isn't a lot of coverage. Are there any ideas on how I can get closer to the elk in the open? And I would say that if he's scouted the area pretty good, he should uh, look for low-lying funnels or, you know, natural funnels or, or low-lying areas and use that to his advantage. Um, I remember Joe was yeah, turkey hunting uh, this year. Uh, he was basically an open field, but it had a ditch running along a side of it, and Joe kind of zipped across the, the ditch and got close enough to get a shot at a turkey. I would assume that uh even the prairie isn't extremely flat you know you can look across and uh it, it would look flat to you even with uh with uh, binoculars but w the reality is it's not going to be that all that flat yeah you have to use the terrain the ultimate predator decoy you think he could try and absolutely that's, yeah that's, that's a good possibility yeah yeah you can use a decoy and and i'll, I'll give you another one if if there's cattle in the area 
Yes, cow decoy works perfect. Yeah, you use that cow. <laughs> I don't know how many legs you got, Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it, it. The other, the only other thing you can do is is just wait till they get into the trees if there are any trees. But you know, it almost sounds like it's just a, a big open area where he's at there. So you, it, your only choice there is you got to use terrain. Um, you got to use that low lion, you know, maybe you put on one of those, what are those, uh, those ghillie suits and yeah. you'll start crawling across there and yeah. get on them. You the, know? the one advantage of the open airs like that is the visibility and being able to locate them from further away. Yep. And they're going somewhere. They're going to have a destination. They're not going to stay out in the wide open the whole time. Find so out. Did, didn't, uh, didn't you kill an antelope laying on the fence? Yes. Joe? Yes. yes, he was laying on the fence, just flat on his back, and the antelope came by and he set up and shot him. Yeah, we've had some. We've we've, we've shot antelope yeah. a lot of ways that people. I've shot an antelope out of a tree stand, the only tree yeah. in the doggone prairie. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, the thing about it is, what I would suggest to him is, you know, uh, you generally got a few days to hunt. And the first day would be to study the animals and watch them. I mean, elk are pretty much so they'll follow their same pattern 90% of the time. So, you know, if you see them go a certain way into the trees or, or off of the player, you know, now you know where you need to be if you can get the wind right. But that's what I would do. And you can set up on some water too, Joe, depending on how, how much water they got or no water that they got. They can set up, you know, a blind or something like that and, and hunt a water source as well, you know, especially in the evenings when they're coming to water. I know Joe don't want to hear about no blind, but at the end of you the know, day. You know, RC, you talk about our antelope hunts that me and Chav used to do back in the day. We saw oh. and did some of the craziest things, man. Yeah. One day I'll have to share my story how I flagged how I was flagging. No, please don't. We don't want to know. <laughs> uh, you probably heard it. We don't want to know. Oh you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, it's, it's not real. No, it's he was <laughs> showing box. his gas-producing factory uh, no, no, around. Don't, don't, don't break. Don't, 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 don't let them have any. Uh, hear anything, man. All right, <laughs> next person, man. Gilbert, you got Bill. Bill Steiger. Old Mr. Bill Steiger out of Oregon. Man, Bill, we appreciate you sending in your question. If the woods are quiet, do you call? I've heard when calling to match the I've heard I have heard when calling to match the environment. If the woods are quiet, calling is quiet and not exciting. The woods are alive with noise, you can be more vocal. Any thoughts? I'm 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 getting ready to jump in, man. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, take this one. Go. Um, yeah, because uh, look, it, it that whole thing about matching the environment depends depends a lot on <laughs> proximity or if you're in animals or anything like that. If you're if you're like following a herd and you sneak into them and and they haven't been saying a thing and then you get in tight and you just start calling and you're you're liable just to blow everything out, but. I don't follow the principle of if the woods are quiet, you don't call because they're just not excited. Um, I believe in creating that excitement because, mm -hmm. you know, the reason elk get excited is because they hear 
other elk getting excited and that gets them going a little bit so we'll do things like i have a scenario where i'm i'm basically i'm going to be the bull i'm going to be an advertising bull like in that if i'm hunting uh, i will be going for through a transition from a feed through a transition up a ridge and i'm screaming those those bugles as i'm going i'm putting out a few cow calls here and there and i'll do it all the way and i have had bulls that have zeroed in on my route and that i'm going and end up coming in and 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 cutting me off before i get to a certain point up there i mean you got to you got to really be sharp because a lot of those guys come in silent uh but uh, and then when you do that, sometimes they start popping off. Cause especially if you start putting on a show, man, if you start putting on a show, you know, where you sound like multiple bulls that are going off, whenever you hear multiple bulls screaming, that means there's a hot cow and there's certain sounds that a bull makes that he only makes when he has a hot cow. So when you're doing that, those sounds are what get other bulls. It's, it's just like, you know, if you're walking down the street and you hear somebody go, oh, oh, and all that stuff, you know, you're like, hmm, what's going on over there? It's the uh, same uh, thing. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I, I think you can actually do it. If the woods are alive with noise, man, that that's, you know, you can almost do the opposite. Look, if it's quiet, sometimes you can make a bunch of noise to, to get it going. If it's the woods are alive, a lot of times you ain't got to say nothing. You just start moving in on it until, you know, there's a reason or season to be able to do something there. So, um, that's how, that's my philosophy. Bill. I'm, I'm, I'm remember asking you a question, um, several podcasts ago, uh, Joe, where I, I I was almost certain that her presence in the early archery season, calling the first few days where everything was quiet, um, had an impact on animals starting to respond uh, after that. Because because I asked you, I was like, man, I I have a feeling that us just walking around the woods and calling and calling and trying to locate is just somehow starting to trigger the animals to start talking because it's just, you know, yeah, I get it that there is like a moon phase or time of the year or, you know, just all that, that will just trigger them talking, but it was just too coincidental. And it was always like second to third day when we'll just see, you know, the woods starting to kind of live up. And then just like once, once one small herd of elk start screaming, then this, the next, then it's just like a, a chain effect. You got to <laughs> remember the rut, the rut is, it's a time of year. A rut or elk react yes. to a cow in heat. So yeah. when those elk hear a rut going on, that starts building up yeah. and getting them excited. Yeah. yeah one whiff and man, here it is. They yep. start popping off like popcorn pops. I mean, I'm seriously, <laughs> if you listen to our podcast last week, uh, you know, Mr. Bill, if you listen to our podcast last week, I talked about a time when RC Knox and I were up in the chute and it was absolutely dead quiet and we couldn't get nothing talking. And RC just went off like a wild man bugling and going crazy. And all of a sudden sound like a herd of Buffalo coming off the mountain. <laughs> man, I mean, they just stormed us right on top of us and nobody had made a sound the whole day. I mean, 
mean, we couldn't hear. There was no talking going on, nothing. But as soon as RC started his party, I mean, the woods erupted with elk. You know, oh, well, we, we, we started. Our- they heard the party and here they came. Right. We merged, we merged and, and converged at the top of the mountain once uh, to hunting separately. We could tell, we could hear you guys bugling. You guys heard us. You guys got closer. We put on a party together and they came over that day, you know? So, uh, and then the whole, all the woods started to light up with like elk bugling. It was yeah, incredible. The, the morning Joe and I, Joe killed his bull with, with the predator, ultimate predator decoy where he had never shot through the thing before that, that morning we had been calling, had a big scenario set up and we actually called in your buddy and his, and his son and they moved on. But after that whole, I mean, we didn't sit there and talk maybe, maybe five to seven minutes and they moved on. It wasn't another 125 yards. And here come these bulls roaring up on us. And it was because of the set that we'd already been in for them coming looking you know what's going on and nobody's made a sound but because we had that you know the wherewithal working into the wind the whole time and and we set up a really cool scenario joe's bugling i'm insistent cow calling i mean we had a really cool thing going on it sounded so cool like rocky mountain elk foundation calling kind of going on right there and man (laughs) you know we just basically we call in those hunters and uh we high five and little man and stuff like that got to meet all those cool people and then I mean, not seven, eight minutes later, we, we peel off from them and what, come, 200 yards further. Yeah. yeah you come dead gum, dumb and dumber, you know, with them all <laughs> for the party, you know, they, seriously, they were looking, they were, they were not yeah. dumbing around. They were looking for the party. And, and when they see those deco decoy out, it's like, Whoa, now we found the party. Here <laughs> we've done all of this calling and put on a scenario, put the show on with nothing that reacts we take time to have a conversation we walk further 200 yards get on top of a ridge give a little cow call and all of a sudden things start bugling because they the whole time they had heard the show and they were moving in that direction they were getting worked up now they hear a cow and they know wow i've heard that and man it just it just lit up just like that so there are yeah, times I, I truly believe you can get it rocked in yourself man absolutely bill be man be bold brother blow some things up create some opportunities man and have some above all else bill have some fun. yeah have some fun brother you know oh uh, don't worry about the, the mule going blinds my grandpa would say load the wagon son yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right gilbert close us out man Fellas, like we say all the time here, you know, uh, at Elk Bros, we, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Uh, and just a reminder, if you any of our listeners want their questions answered on our show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in Texas, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what's coming, right? Music Absolutely. from? Absolutely. Music from Tony Wintrip. Tony Wintrip. Good night, Tony. Good night, everybody. Peace. Thank you, everybody. So, I'll make my living working east of town. Late nights in the summer till the sun goes down. 
Why? Wow. 